Let's pray and ask for God's help for me and all of us. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, sometimes your word is confronting, makes us uncomfortable. It speaks to us, though, about who you are and how we can be saved. And Father, I pray that by your spirit you'd help me to speak with clarity and faithfulness, boldness and love tonight. Empower me by your spirit to do that. Lord, we pray by your spirit that you'd give us all listening ears, minds that are teachable, hearts that are soft and willing to change. We pray, Lord, that you'd work in the hearts of all of us through your word and by your spirit for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Well, it was early morning in Arizona on January 1st this year when Carolyn noticed smoke coming from her neighbor's house where Nicole, her husband, and four kids lived and they were sleeping at the time. Carolyn went next door and saw flames coming, rising up from the garage. She ran to the front door. She started pounding on it. Nobody answered, and so she started ringing the bell over and over and yelling out, trying to wake them. Thankfully, Nicole and her family, they did wake up, and they made it out safely. And within five minutes, the roof of the house collapsed. Nicole's family were saved when Carolyn warned them warned them of the danger and the fire. And that's what God does in his word today. Here he warns us of danger and fire. This is my title, Prepare for Jesus, Turn or Burn. And I wonder if the title in itself has already turned some of you off. Turn or burn? I mean, to say that can seem so arrogant So blunt, so unloving. Turn to God or suffer judgment. I hear my friend saying, Clinton, how dare you tell me that my life isn't good enough? How dare you say that you know the truth and that I need to listen to you? How dare you say that Jesus is the only way to God and if I don't turn to him, I'll be punished for my sin? When we say this, When I say this, some of you, some people may think we're trying to bully people into religion or coerce people into heaven. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you're thinking that. But we must say it. I must say it. God is love. But he is equally holy and just. And a preacher's duty is to declare the day of wrath, and the doom of the wicked. And I must be faithful to God in saying it. And I must be faithful to you. And I must love you by telling you that the wrath of God is coming and tell you also of the one who can save you from it. Because if that day comes and I didn't tell you or you didn't tell your friends then they could well accuse us of being unloving. But please come with me as we look not at my opinions, but at what God says to us here. Let's look at how John the Baptist prepares people for Jesus. 
Jesus is so important that after a 400-year gap between the Old and New Testament, after a 400-year period of silence from God, Jesus has someone to announce his arrival. When you arrived at church tonight, I didn't hear anyone announcing your arrival. Maybe on your wedding day, as everyone stands, maybe then it happens. But, but John the Baptist here, the last Old Testament prophet, in about AD 27, he announces the arrival of someone, God's Messiah, the Son of God, the King and Saviour, Jesus. And everything about John is startling. In Matthew's Gospel, he comes out of nowhere. His clothing, his food, his message, his baptising of Jews is all startling and unexpected. If you know your Old Testament prophets... John might remind you of someone. It's Elijah. Like Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 1, John wore a garment of hair and a leather belt. And as we just had read for us from Malachi chapter 4, the very last verses of the Old Testament, that they promise that a future Elijah figure will come who will prepare the way for the Lord's coming. In Malachi chapter 4 verse 5, God says this, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He will turn hearts of fathers to their children, the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. John the Baptist fulfills this. He prepares people for the coming of the Lord primarily by calling people to repent of their sin, our first point. In quoting Isaiah 40, there in verse 3, John's saying, I'm preaching in the wilderness to prepare people for the coming of God. And he does this by preaching repentance. Look at verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's language in Matthew's gospel, but the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God. You may remember that the book of Matthew, it's written especially for Jews, and Jews often avoided using God's name out of reverence. So read Kingdom of Heaven and think God's kingly rule. And God's rule is near because Jesus Christ, God's appointed king, is near. He's about to arrive publicly. And John's prepared people for Christ by calling them to confess their sin and repent. What does it mean to repent? If I realised I was eating too much chocolate and my cholesterol was up, if I repent, that means I change my mind. I change my direction. I'll stop eating chocolate or whatever it is for you. If I'm driving down the street and I realise I'm going the wrong way and it has happened once or twice, then I would do a U-turn. I would do a U-turn. I would repent and head back the other direction. To repent is to change your mind, to change your direction, your, your life's direction. In the Bible, to repent means to repent of sin, to turn away from rebelling against God and ruling your own life. And God wants us to turn back to him. 
A verse in Malachi again from chapter 3, verse 7. God says, you've turned away from my statutes, my rules, and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. We do that when you trust in the Lord and let him take charge of your life. Let him take hold of the steering wheel of your heart and let King Jesus call the shots from now on. And I ask, have you done that? Have you confessed your sins like the people do in verse 6? How much we've made a mess of things. All the wrong things we've done, all the good things we failed to do. Confess that actually we need to start again with God. Confess how we want to rule our own lives, but actually, Lord, we need to stop. I need to stop. I need to turn back to Jesus and I need to let him be my king. Have you done that? And if you haven't, today's a really good day to do that. I'll ask you a question. Why do we take a shower or a bath? Maybe you're just in a habit. You do it every morning or every evening. But really it's to wash dirt and stink off our bodies, isn't it? So that we can be clean. Well, back in Jesus' day, if a Gentile wanted to convert to Judaism, that'd have to be washed. That'd have to be baptized, symbolizing the washing of their sins and becoming clean. And repentance is signified in baptism. John was called the Baptist because he baptized so many people. Crowds came from Jerusalem and all around, we're told in verse 6, they're baptized by him in the River Jordan. In verse 11, we're told they're baptized for repentance. Likely that means that they're baptized as a sign of their repentance. It signified what was going on in their hearts and lives. I don't know what the Jordan was like at that time with John the Baptist. I found these two photos. One that looks lovely, the other one looks dirty. You're not necessarily going to get in a dirty Jordan to get washed clean of dirt. But the point is, it's symbolism. Washing, being washed clean and forgiven of your sins. You see, Christian baptism signifies the washing away of our sins, the receiving and cleansing of the Holy Spirit, a commitment to live God's way. It signifies our initiation into relationship with God, that we become children of God, which is all enabled through Christ on the cross. It's a very rich symbol. Baptism is like a flashing neon sign that says God by his grace saves us and washes us clean when we repent and believe. We'll come back to baptism in a moment. As crowds of people are coming to John, and in verse 7, some Jewish leaders come too. The Pharisees, they saw themselves as the separated ones. The ones who were better than others and more holy than others. And then you've got the Sadducees. They're from the high priestly party. And they come to John. And look at what John calls them. You brood of vipers. You snakes. I reckon that's pretty sharp. Cutting words. 
Interestingly, in Luke's account of this passage, this story, uh, John says this uh, to all the crowds. And John is saying, you can't just think that you're safe because you're a physical descendant of Abraham. You must bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Verse 8. In other words, genuine, sincere repentance, you're turning from sin back to God. It must show itself in action, in our life, our behaviour, our good works. And so the evidence of repentance will be a changed life. The Apostle Paul says in Acts 26, he says, I preached that people should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance or showing their repentance by their deeds. When we talk about fruits, we're talking about hearts that have been changed by the grace of God and what that looks like in real life. So really, you and I can't say that we've repented. You cannot say that you're a Christian and then live how you want. If we have repented, then it will show itself in the way that we live, in a love for God, a love for others, serving others, whether those you live with, study with, meet with on Sunday, strangers next door. And so I ask, can others tell that you have repented. What's going to motivate this real repentance? John says to these leaders, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And he gives us two pictures in verse 10 to help us see that we need to repent now. This is urgent. One of chopping, one of burning. The axe is already at the root of the trees, he says, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The message is repent or be judged. John's message, it's not flattering. Honestly, it's frightening. It's not soothing. It is soul-searching. John's message here he is he's preaching imminent doom a catastrophe that can only be avoided by a radical u-turn in your heart and mind it was english preacher charles spurgeon who is famous for the phrase turn or burn in a sermon on psalm 7 in 1856 he called people to turn or burn. I'm convicted that people today, you and I, need to hear the same message. This is terrible. And honestly, if it was about my feelings, I would not say this. But Spurgeon says, we assert that there is a necessity to wet for God to wet his sword. That means to sharpen his sword and punish men if they will not turn. Ernest Baxter used to say, sinner, turn or burn. It's your only alternative. Turn or burn. And it is so. End quote. God must punish sin. God is just, you see. And so he cannot leave sin unpunished. 
People must turn or else they will burn. And I say this out of love for you. And there comes a time when we're to say this to others, even with tears, out of love for them. To imagine that there will be no punishment for sin and that people can be saved without repentance is to fly in the face of all the scriptures. In Spurgeon's words again, did God once blast Eden and drive our parents out of that happy garden? Did he drown a world with water and inundate creation with floods? Will he not punish sin? Let the burning hail which fell on Sodom tell you that God is just. John the Baptist prepared people for King Jesus by calling them to repent of their sin before the fire of judgment comes. Our second point is that John also prepares people for Jesus by pointing them to him, by calling them to turn to him, to Jesus. Matthew's gospel has already told us that Jesus is the promised descendant of Abraham, the son of David, the the Messiah, God's promised king. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Remember, his name is called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And even these non-Jewish wise men travelled from far away to come and worship him. And now John the Baptist wants people to look to him, saying in verse 11, the one who comes after me is mightier than I. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. In other words, I'm not even worthy to be Jesus' slave and carry his shoes. And that's how great Jesus is. Just briefly, in the last paragraph, what else are we told about Jesus, about who he is? Who is Jesus? Look at the end, verse 17. God's voice speaks from heaven and declares him to be the Son of God. The Son is loved by the Father and he truly, fully, always pleases God, pleases his Father. Unlike me, unlike you. And yet there's more. Because what the Gospels tell us about Jesus is so rich and so deep. He has the Holy Spirit, verse 16. And so Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, also has the presence of the third person of the Trinity. And yet while Jesus is God in the flesh, he's also a human being, fully human. And as a human being, he comes to John to be baptised in the Jordan. But the question John can't get his head around is why? Jesus has no sin to confess. He has nothing to repent of. So why be baptised? Jesus says, verse 15, it's to fulfil all righteousness. That means here in his baptism, Jesus is identifying with us sinners. He's walking in our shoes. He's being our representative as he lives rightly. 
And he must be identified with his people in the removal of their sins. That happens from this point on. Certainly and climactically in the cross. As Isaiah 53 verse 12 says, he was numbered with the transgressors. And his water baptism and anticipates a, a future baptism. Jesus will describe his suffering and death as a baptism that he must undergo in Luke chapter 12, verse 50. And so his baptism here, it looks forward to this future baptism. His baptism actually is looking forward to the waves of God's judgment that will wash over him as he suffers and dies on that cross. And he suffers and dies on that cross so that he can bear our sins unto death, enabling us to be forgiven. And Christians, isn't that what we believe? But also, Jesus not only has the Holy Spirit, he gives the Holy Spirit. Verse 11 John baptizes, he washes people with water. Jesus will baptize, so wash and give people the Holy Spirit. And if you were to skip forward to Acts chapter 2, it tells us that it was the risen and ascended Jesus who poured out the Holy Spirit at Pentecost with tongues of fire. It was Jesus who gave the Holy Spirit to his people, and he still does. And so I ask you, do you have the Holy Spirit? If you don't, you just need to turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus. Water baptism, though it doesn't save anyone, not adults, not infants. If you're a believer, if you have repented and turned to trust in Christ, I ask you, are you baptised? If not, why not? Neglecting baptism is to disobey the Lord and it's a failure to follow the example of Christ himself. Baptism is an important sign and confirmation of, of the way that God saves us by his grace. And yet, don't look to your water baptism whenever it was for comfort. And don't look to your family for comfort if you have a Christian family. You see, if the Jews in verse 9 couldn't take comfort in the fact that they were Abraham's descendants, please don't think that having had Christian parents that that will save you. It won't. So don't look to your family for confidence. Look only to Christ. John came to prepare people for Jesus and appoint people to him. And John not only preached that people need to repent or face God's judgment, he even makes clear that Jesus is the one who will bring the judgment. Verse 12, Jesus will clear the threshing floor. He will gather the wheat. He will burn the chaff with an unquenchable fire. This is saying that those who've not repented and borne fruit Jesus will cast into the fire, a fire that never stops. In Matthew's gospel, if you were to read on, 
Jesus repeatedly speaks of those who don't bear fruit being cast, thrown into the fire, experiencing eternal fire, the fire of hell. And I say, how how terrible, how terrifying. In love, John is warning people, turn or burn. And in love, God is warning all of us here, turn to me or burn. The Westminster Confession of Faith puts it like this, that we repent knowing and sensing the danger and sensing the filthiness of our sin. In that, it's those things that move us to turn to God for the mercy that's found in Christ. You might be so totally living for yourself and sin at the moment that you think, I have no hope at all that I'm ever going to turn back to God myself. If that's you, listen. Christ who died on the cross, who is exalted at the right hand of the Father. In Acts chapter 5, Jesus says that he's been exalted that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins. It's not all up to you. So I ask, do you feel that you're a sinner? If so, ask Christ to change your hearts. Ask him to give you repentance, for he can work repentance in your heart by his Spirit. Is your heart hard like iron? If it is, he can put it in the furnace of his love and make it melt. Is your heart cold, cold to the work of God? His grace is able to dissolve it. Again, to make it melt like ice is melted by the sun. I encourage you to go home tonight and bow your knees before God and remember and confess your sins. Tell him that you cannot repent as you want to. Tell him that your heart is hard or it is as cold as ice. And you can do that if God has made you feel your need for a saviour. And then if you've been convicted of your sins and your heart desires to seek after repentance, then maybe you could sit down and read the last four chapters of Matthew's gospel. And as you see the king who loved and died, as you see that glorious man hung on the cross with blood dripping from his hands and his feet, If you reflect on that and it does not move you to repent by the Spirit, do not know what can. This repentance that that John calls people to, it happens once as as a whole of life thing. When we turn from our rebellion and we turn to God in faith, And at that time, that's when we get converted, when we're born again, when we're saved. And that repentance is not, it's not just the cutting off of the top of a weed, like you try to yank a weed out and the the leaves just break off. No, this is a removal at the roots. It's 
God giving you a new heart. It's like changing a sewer pipe that's been spurting filth for a fountain of clean water. And so if you have repented and you have come under the rule of King Jesus, as I know so many of you have, then live for him. You see, for all of us who have believed and repented, there is an ongoing, continual repentance required of us. So there's a general repentance when you first get saved and you turn away from sin back to God, but that's followed throughout life by a duty to repent of specific sins, particular sins. So all of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, we must still repent of particular sins. We must give them up, turn away from them. And I ask you, what is God convicting you of at the moment? What is he convicting you of in your conscience that needs to change? What sin does he want you to hate? What does your Lord want you to change so that you would please him instead of yourself? Maybe it It's a fear of man, a fear of people. Maybe it's a fear of rejection. Maybe it's a lack of love for people. Because whether we're fearing people, fearing rejection, or we're just not loving them, that is what will stop us warning them of the judgment to come. That is what will stop us speaking to them about the Jesus who is the Saviour and the only Saviour. Certainly a fear of people, a fear of rejection or us just not loving them will stop us warning them of the fire that is to come. Just like Carolyn warned her neighbour of the fire in her house that was going to take her life in a matter of minutes, we love people when we warn them of the danger and the fire of God's judgment that is coming. Pray that you'll love others in your words and your actions. Pray that you'll hate your sin and turn from it. Pray that you will live 2021 in a state of constant, continual repentance. May this year be a life that you live that is full of ongoing repentance. The glory of God, the good of others, even the salvation of their souls. I close with this true story. 15-year-old boy or young man went to church one day and he was bowed down with guilt, feeling his sinfulness. The minister walked up the pulpit stairs, he opened his Bible and he read this verse, Isaiah 45, verse 22. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. The 15-year-old named Charles, he later writes, the preacher fixed his eyes on me. And before he began to preach to others, he said, young man, look, look, look. You are one of the ends of the earth. You know that you feel it. You feel that you are. You know your need of a saviour. And that Charles... Charles Spurgeon 
said, by his grace, I looked upon Jesus. And though desponding, downcast, ready to despair, and feeling that I could rather die than live as I had lived, at that very moment it seemed as if heaven had its birth within my conscience and I went home no more downcast. Those about me, noticing the change, asked me why I was so glad and I told them that I had believed in Jesus. Could that be you today? John prepared people for Jesus by calling them to turn from their sin. And we can be prepared for and safe from the fire of judgment if we turn from our sin and trust in Jesus. And then the Father can say to us, just as he said to his beloved son, verse 17, he can say to us, you are my beloved son. Or you are my beloved daughter. With you I am well pleased. So turn to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father God, when we look at our own lives and we're honest, we know that we don't deserve heaven, we only deserve hell. So often, Lord, we live our own way, we do our own thing, we find joy and seek for joy and satisfaction in other things instead of you. And Father, we thank you that by work of your grace in us, so many of us have come to experience repentance and the forgiveness of sins. We pray, Father, that by work of your spirit in us that we might go on continuing to repent of those specific sins that displease you. Please give us your heart. And for those of us here, those of us watching online who know that we are that sinner who has not found salvation through repentance and faith in Jesus, Lord, we pray that they might not let this rest, but that they might continue to reflect on your word, who you are, loving and holy and just, and reflect on all you've done for them in sending the Saviour Jesus so that they might be saved from the judgment that they and we all deserve. Please, Lord, have mercy on them and save them. Father God, we pray that you might, for all of us who know Jesus as our King and follow him, pray that we would love you so much our friends, our family, our neighbours, our work colleagues, our fellow students, so much that we would speak of the one who can save them from the hell, the fire of hell itself. So Lord, please give us a great boldness. It's filled with love. Lord, we pray that you might help us to not rely on our own strength but on yours because we can't do this alone. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.